0: What's going on boys and girls, it's me Ben DP, Ben here you have a brand new podcast and today it's a special one. It's a club that I recently came across after playing FIFA like many of you have, it's Stonewall FC. Now for those who don't know, Stonewall FC are a non-league club. I've been speaking to the guys for a couple of weeks now and I'm very happy to announce that I've got Leon Williams who's a player of the club and also used to work behind the scenes as well. Hello Leon, how are you buddy? Hey, Ben, I'm good, thank you for having me on. Thanks for coming on, dude. I'm a little bit excited for this, so uh, you have to forgive me if I start getting all giddy during the interview, so apologies if I do. No, no worries. I'm looking forward to it. Now, we recently found out, unfortunately, that I'm a little fan, as you know, and Leon is unfortunately a Watford fan, so there might be a little bit of tension. Uh, I'm going to try my best to be professional, but we'll see how that gets on, eh, Leon?
1: Uh, well, uh, the way Watford are this season, mate, um, <laughs> it's kind of all around, So I was going to say, how you
0: enjoyed the championship?
1: I hate it. <laughs> I think from the neutral perspective, you, you'd love it because it's so tight and you just don't, you never know what to expect. But it's amazing the players
0: of, you've got at a club still.
1: Yeah, but um, I think we're a bit toxic in certain areas, but... That's a whole other podcast.
0: (laughs) Despite being a Luton Town fan, I do love the Ben Foster YouTube videos that he does. The goalkeeper, the cycling goalkeeper, they're awesome.
1: Yeah, it's just just something different, isn't it? Kind of taking you behind the scenes and seeing what people really get up to. And, I think it just gives you better insights to the madness of like goalkeepers as
0: well. 100%. 100%. <laughs> now, uh, for those who don't know, Stonewall FC was a club founded back in 1991. So happy 30th birthday there, Leon. Not to yourself, of course, but to the club. <laughs> for those who have not heard of Stonewall FC, what you tell us a little bit about the club and how the club was formed?
1: So we obviously born in 1991 and I think it was like five original founders that we have. And obviously Astley and Pitt is the only one that's still playing even at the age of 61. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You can tell that it was some player back in the day. I hope that I can still move at 61, let alone play football. <laughs> um, I think part of the club, obviously we've been doing a lot of work in terms of like rediscovering the founders and the history of the club. And you forget it's easy. The club has been around for 30 years. The people that have constantly gone through some of the hardships and really put themselves out on the line back in the day you know, facing the abuse and the things that they've gone through. I think mean, the club used to have a sponsor. It was gay, basically, written on the shirt from a magazine. And they're playing at places like Hackney Wick back in the 90s. It was like, not what it is now. It's a like H- hanging marsh, so I say. Uh, and they've had to go through that. And I think the club's built on the foundation of the people that have come through over the years and kind of imparted their wisdom. A lot of them are still involved in terms of like alumni. I think we might even be starting a, a veterans' club, but just to say that we wouldn't be anywhere without their input in terms of what they've done, the knowledge that they've passed on, particularly the previous committees and the connections they've forged, just to help us grow and uh, just turn Stonmore into what it is today.
0: To say what they did back then was groundbreak is an understatement. It really, really was. It was, it was unheard of because, as as we mentioned earlier, homophobia was rampant. Back in the 90s, do you know what I mean? We know, I believe I, San Francisco created a team a little bit before the 90s. That was a reasonably big team. But in terms of British football, yeah. it was the first in, in British football. So t- to say that, it, it's unreal. Like I said, it, it, it could be a film. It really could be a film. The fact that this guy went from getting racial and homophobic abuse on a daily basis for just for being gay. Do you know what I mean? It was like he did anything wrong. It was just for being yeah. gay then he went screw it him and him and four other guys went, we're gonna go find our own football team and it's just steamrolled there and it's gone bigger and bigger and bigger just to see how far you've come in 30 years. It's exciting to think how far you could be now in another 30 years. Do you yeah. know what I mean?
1: Um I think one of the best things about it and I said it's an inclusive place is not only was it originally started out a space for gay men, but we've had bi players and we also have quite a lot of straight players. That play throughout all three teams. And they've come from um, friends that have played there and they've invited them along. Other teams that we've played against in the league. And they've obviously looked for a a team with a similar standard and they've decided to join us. And it's interesting to see that they're also part of our history as well. And some of them, I think one of them, I won't name drop him, um, (laughs) he'll probably love that team much, but he's been with us for about um, 11 years, I think now. Wow. Playing in the first team. And that was because his best mate, who's still associated with the club was playing for the first team and they're still with us. And he says, sometimes he gets questions like, why would you play for a gay team? And they're, they're usually like, I say gay, we're not, not any, that's not how we look at ourselves. Um, of course, I understand it, yeah. And they're usually like, well, there used to be loaded questions and you're like, well, it's just football. Like, when I mean, there's all the stuff you see on online, where they're just expecting some mass, you know, shower fun or something <laughs> after the game. And you're like, <laughs> <laughs> Not like that, like you're just painting a horrific picture of um, LGBT people as like obsessed with sex sex And if anything, like it's well, it's just a regular football changing room, and probably people are more like less likely to even look in your direction out of fear of being labeled in that way. So.
0: Do you you get a lot of times where people assume because of the club's history and the the label, he says in quotation marks, that people assume you have to be gay or or lesbian? Or or do you get that a lot of people assume that you can't play for the club or support the club if you're straight, he says in quotation marks?
1: Yeah, definitely. When we've done bigger pieces like the Wembley stuff, there's obviously a bit of press attention. There's always been press attention from right back um In the, as I said, the World Cup or the Gay Games when Stonewall won, it, I think back in 2002, and things just kind of get spun out of control. But we were getting seeing on Twitter threads like, "Oh, why does this ex- exclusion, uh, this club, why are they promoting exclusion?" And we we're like, "Well, actually, no. It's just provided for people that are LGBT, and you can be straight if you want to come play. or we'll support club? It's just primarily for people that don't feel safe or." you know, secure in other spaces. And a lot of that comes from players playing in teams which, uh, what well, you'd say, are straight or presumed straight, and they've, like, suffered abuse. So it's just providing somewhere where people can be themselves. If you were to come to a club or, you know, or any other, like, LGBT or gay or lesbian football club, In um, London, for example, from my experience, you get so many different types of people. As I said before, there's no one way to be who you are. Exactly. Uh, You could have someone that's like um, I don't know, into UFC, boxing, like sports mad, and is perceived as someone that's like quite masculine. But everyone might think, oh, he's he's probably straight because he likes sports. Ranging from someone that is probably the hardest tackling person, but loves. Drag race and the theatre and things like that. So, and you, the thing is, you have all those different types of people which have like maybe an element of different things in terms of their interests and, and how they are. And it's just all kind of molded together. There's no like stereotype, it's just everyone, if that makes sense.
0: The club has really gone from strength to strength. I mean, I've watched a couple of interviews with Ashley Pitter, who is quite frankly an amazing man. Um, you hear him talk about some of the stuff that he went through as a young footballer. I think it's about 10 years ago or so, he was given MBE for his work in fight homophobia. The work that yourselves and the club's done over the last sort of 30 years, you must be, as a club, immensely proud of the, the light you've brought to, to the club with things like the Rainbow Laces, which meant that you guys played at Wembley, which we'll get to in a minute. The work that you guys have done for the LGBTQ community is... It's fantastic. It must be something as a club that you're immensely proud of.
1: We started out as just a place for gay men to play football and it's quickly evolved into a club which welcomes LGBT plus people. Um, and you see that now with our offerings. We're looking at potentially starting a uh, women non-binary team. Um, we have actually had like some of our first non-binary players come and join us. Um, and there's, it's just a massive period of growth. We've got three men's teams at the moment, but that's that's continuing to evolve. and. I think we've got a bright future and a lot going on to
0: look forward to. The fact that you've partnered over the years with EA, Adidas, Barclays, like I said, you've even played at Wembley, a part of the Rainbow Lace campaign. It's immense, the, the work that the founding members put in 30 years ago and the work that you guys have put into this very, very day. In, in the interview that I watched with Ashley, he mentioned some of the homophobic abuse that the players took when the club was first formed which was horrendous, of course. Have you guys experienced anything like that at all over the last couple of years since you've been a player?
1: Some of the stuff that particularly some of the club's elders used to face week in, week out was like brutal and horrific. Yeah. You know, ranging from like verbal threats to people like physically abusing, trying to break down, changing room doors. And you think if you hear something out like today, you'd be like, Jesus, that, that was just absolutely madness back then. Now, it's few and far between, but there are a few isolated incidents. incidents. Um, you know, we've had uh, new teams which might join the league, which have come from other divisions Will particularly go like particularly over the top in terms of like, physicality, like two-foot challenges. Um, there's been like a few odd comments here and there, but luckily it's probably down to like one incident the season. Sometimes we obviously do get supporters in the league as well. Some clubs have got bigger followings than others. And you, you get a few comments. Uh, one of our players who speaks Arabic, he was getting abused in in Arabic by a few players from another team uh, for the entire match but didn't actually say anything to us because he just didn't want to escalate the situation and the people on the sidelines, some of the supporters were doing the same thing and had like kids shouting homophobic abuse who couldn't have been older than 10. You're just thinking it's, it's mad that, uh, you know, he's we're just here just to play football, like right?
0: yeah.
1: sexuality and, you know, your private life and the things about you don't, shouldn't come into that and come into play really.
0: In terms of work with EA and Adidas and Barclays over the last couple of years, how'd that come about and how has it been working with those guys?
1: I think through the club, there's like a lot of diverse people working with different backgrounds and they've kind of put in a lot of hard work to try and contact these brands and just say, you know, work with us. We can make change together. We're using their profile and, and using us as an example to kind of be like a bit of a pioneer in like LGBTQ sport. Um, the stuff of Adidas, they kind of shared the same vision as us. They wanted to drive change. They wanted to make, you know, drive inclusion. They've done a lot of stuff They're athletes as well. And they helped us. They want us to make us grow and obviously celebrate success and be one of those pioneers. We're obviously with the most successful LGBT club in the, in the world. But that, I think that was one of the, the most appealing part, parts of the partnership. But also just to kind of change the hearts and minds of people, especially with the, with the new kit. Uh, the unikit as well and it's had like a fantastic response and we're now getting contacted by people that are saying you know i never knew you existed like like yourselves um and they're saying this is, like a real positive change especially with the, the mermaid partnership side of it as well and the same with ea as well there was obviously a gap in the market and i don't mean that from like an advertising point of view but more of a why aren't there more prominent lgbt teams um uh, driving change and you know this the support for inclusivity across, well, just life in general, really. Yeah, And um, I think it's only a positive thing. I'm surprised that no other brand has kind of done it before, but we, we, we all share the same vision and the same values. And hopefully if we can change a few more hearts and minds and help integrate people a bit more, then I think it's a positive thing.
0: I'm ashamed to admit, as I mentioned earlier, I, I didn't know about the club until playing FIFA and seeing the club um, on EA uh, Twitter page, all that sort of stuff. And it was frustrating. I thought, God, this kid looks amazing. Look into a little bit more. That <laughs> I was like, Wow, actually, I never even knew there was an LGBTQ club. I really didn't. My sister, like me, is a mad football fan. I would ask her about it. She had no idea. I mean, one of our favourite players is executive captain Casey Sloan for the England ladies. And still, she had no idea about the football club. So once mm. I told her about the, the, um, the club, she too now spends a lot of time following your guys on YouTube. There's a guy on, on YouTube that we both follow who records the games, uploads the games, and we watch him. I think his name is oh, something Alexander Second, Alexis uh,
1: Carrington. Um, the one. He does that for on his channel, but also the Stonewall FC channel as well. Um, all the
0: links will be in the description below. I highly recommend checking out all their YouTube channels, the socials. But there's a couple of really good YouTube videos out there. I've shown the match, especially the Wembley match, and you can see how big the pitch is, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, but I, I, I felt embarrassed that I didn't know about the club, and it, and like the backstory of how the club was formed. was was amazing. It just it's like a film. You know, when you, when you hear about just putting an advert in the local time out magazine, that to, to look for, for like minded people and and the abuse that um, Ashley Pitt and others suffered, just coming out as young men in in the eighties and the nineties playing football and dealing with homophobic abuse and racist abuse as well. And watching the interviews that I that I watch on YouTube and other places, you, you hear about how you know, the referees were quick to clamp down on on, on racist abuse. A homophobic abuse was a bit of a, oh, it's fine, just let it go. Do you know what I mean? And it's it's mad to think that in 30 years, how much work you guys as a club have done to make it more acceptable in football. And we spoke about it, um, well, I spoke to you rather by email about about four plays that have come out over the last sort of 30, 40 years. Justin Fashion, you back in the 90s, which was, as I'm sure we know, it was a tragic story the way it ended Thomas Hitzelsberger, the ex-Aston Villa player. You've got Robbie Rogers, the ex Leeds United player. And of course, um, Casey Stone, who we, who we spoke about, I did rather. Do you think we're ever going to see a, a premiership footballer in this day and age come out? Or do you think things like advertising and marketing are always going to hinder that side of things for a player? Um, I don't think it's
1: advertising and marketing too much. Uh, things like the Rainbow Laces campaign's like been massive and really changed perceptions and there's a lot of education which clubs do now which you can imagine that 10 years ago um, and just helping fans know some of the things that they thought were banter can be like quite detrimental or quite homophobic we might have seen some of the, a lot of high profile players have come out and said like there wouldn't be any problem whatsoever with an LGBT player at the club I think it's more of a, a cultural problem and a media problem I think society is changing but that's probably a a slightly different conversation, but you also have this kind of witch hunt narrative every time um, someone they think someone might be might be gay in the men's game. Yeah. And you have like those um, the pictures of the question mark in the paper, and it's all kind of comes around to it's like something to be ashamed of. And then obviously you can just jump on social media any day of week, and you just see the kind of comments that you get from like the rainbow laces, you know, and the clubs, yeah. the badges, and the rainbow colours and you're just thinking why would anyone want to go through those hoops i mean it is getting better there's a lot more support there you obviously hear the comments from club uh, club captains and you know other members of the squad and clubs themselves but i think if our media needs to change a lot because that does fuel a lot of negative perceptions yeah. of people in the public and trolls as well. And I,
0: we saw many years ago with Graeme, and Soren, Sol Campbell, for example, that we're always getting, and it's before social media, there's always yeah. talks in newspapers and radio, about, oh, are they gay? Or are they gay? And you know, 20 years ago, let alone now, it doesn't really impact the way you play football in any way, shape or form. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I never really understood even as a youngster, what the big deal was about whether someone was gay or not. I understand, in terms of being a footballer, that is. I understand the impact they can have in you regarding some close-minded teammates and some awful fans. I mean, a, a club that I've always been fond of was Brighton and Hove Albion, who famously reported the fans several occasions for, for homophobic abuse that shouted at them during matches. I always thought that was that was a nice thing to see because so some clubs will, will quietly let that go, but Brighton and Hove Albion were always very big, I felt, um, especially in the early noughties. And the later noise in 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 reporting those those fans to to try to stop that abuse happening.
1: Yeah, I think they were probably kind of pioneers actually because no other club was willing to associate themselves mm-hmm. with that. And um, there was other like events where people tried to publicise things like the Rainbow Laces before that that started, and no one was interested in it or there'd be like zero response whatsoever. And it's kind of it has set like a really good example. I mean, people have obviously targeted Brighton with just lazy stereotypes because of course and to be the, the gay capital or LGBT capital of, of the UK. And it's just kind of, I guess, toxic masculinity at its best that you have to yeah. be a certain way to be a, to be a better man or a bloke or whatever. It's complete nonsense. And I think now, just in general, straight or gay, lesbian or whatever, um, people, there's so many different types of any type of persons. That makes sense. Like, there's not any one way to be gay and not any one way to be straight. and I mean, people are less afraid to be themselves
0: and that's a positive thing. So as we know, in this crazy world, the last nine months have been absolutely crazy with real life, let alone in football now, We've heard how some some championship teams, League One, League Two, and even non-league have struggled due to COVID with the lack of attendances, merchandise sales, and just general all-round investments from players, clubs, and fans, etc. As someone who is an amateur club uh, in Tier 7, I believe it is, how has COVID affected you guys as a club? Has it affected you at all, given the size of the club?
1: Definitely, Um, and I'll probably sound like I'm reading off a fact sheet here, but... The, like, the purpose of the club is to provide like a safe and welcoming space for like any LGBTQ person. So you think about it, that's an outlet for people that may not be out in their personal lives or with family or with other friends. They come to the club and they can kind of just be themselves. And also it's obviously the physical aspect. you know, helps with mental health, keeping yourself in, in shape, making new friends, that kind of thing. So there's definitely been like an impact on some players where – you know, that's gone from their lives and that's that's a quite a big thing to miss, especially if you're, you know, football mad, like quite a few people are, not mm. just in the club, but in general. And then it's like, how do you replace that? And I think the club's always had like a good focus on player well-being first. I mean, we've got player liaison officer or well-being officer. Wow. We've got people are, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's mad just to see how the club's like growing we didn't have that a few years ago. Um who look out for people, the committee, do a fantastic job. Um, They're always thinking of ways to try and engage players, you know, whether it's people are probably a bit zoomed out with quizzes and stuff like that. I know I am. (laughs) I'd rather never do one again. Um, (laughs) Check-ins on WhatsApp just to make sure everyone's feeling okay. Um, People looking out for each other, just, you know, private chats, just to make sure all is well, or if it's not, just being supportive. Yeah. and yeah, it it's particularly kind of impacts us as well because we just moved to the new ground and I think we've played about five matches there. And this is like this one facility. We've got a stand, like proper stadium, floodlights of the works for the first time. And we've got all these people that wanted to come down and watch a game. Um, and we've got the ability to maybe even start streaming some of it on YouTube. And that's all kind of been pulled back a bit. So it's, it's affected the players and um, also kind of a little, maybe a bit of the progress as well.
0: You spoke about streaming. I was going to ask you that as well. What's, has the club got any plans to make the mix? We've seen some clubs like BSC Glasgow who now stream their games on Twitch rather than YouTube. Is there any thoughts and plans in the future about streaming games, releasing matchday highlights, etc.? What's the plans for the YouTube, Twitch or whatever side of the community you plan on, on pushing it down our throats for? <laughs> um, Whilst I
1: Try and give away too, much to the game plan. Um, no, I didn't expect you to. There's definitely there's a lot more activity in terms of social marketing side, so you expect to see a lot more action on um, Instagram and YouTube and Twitter in terms of our social media highlights. There is stuff after the game, and that's slowly been transforming into mm. something that's even better than before, which is usually after a few hours. I think we do a bit more in terms of like live action on Twitter with scores and lineup and things like that. Um, yeah. There has been talk about. How we can potentially tran- um, transport, transmit games. Um, I don't know what platform that might be on, but um, I would expect to see if, if and when things go back to normal, something like that coming into coming into place.
0: With the worldwide following that's happened over the last couple of years due to the game, due to the stature of the club, is there much pressure? in being involved in a, um, a successful team like yours in the LGBTQ community and also the fact that you guys are doing pretty well in uh, the Middlesex League as well. I believe you finished second last year or am I wrong? No, I wouldn't say pressure
1: really because although we are the most successful, that's the first team offering and then you've got the second team, which is a pathway into that. And then our thirds is a more inclusive social offering as well. So we don't want to just have you know, the whole focus be about Oh, you've got you have to win X, Y, and Z every season because you also want to provide a bit of a community as well. Of course. So we have that. And we have like a social um 5 side thing as well, which is uh, run on a couple of work nights a week. Um, just to kind of bring more people in from other LGBT teams or or any other team really, kind of together. In terms of maybe the firsts, I mean just making sure that we keep the club as high as possible or try and go as high as possible um, because it would be the first that, you know, ever yeah, there's been an LGBT football team that could potentially become semi-professional if we got promoted. Um, yeah. I, I wouldn't say that's for pressure. I'd say it's more like an aspiration and I think it'd be like a really positive thing. Do you
0: see you guys make a step up at somebody a couple of years or you guys not trying to put too much again i use the word pressure you guys are not try to put too much pressure on yourself as a team as a community to to push that far because i know we've seen your solfers but this is this, League probably got a lot bit about your solfuge your fc united your afc woodwooders over the years that have steamrolled through the leagues is that your aim to to take over the football world and get <laughs> yourself into that and if so what are we going to see then at, at some point in the near future
1: Well, I'd love it if we had a sugar daddy which bankrolled us like (laughs) south for example. Um, But no, the club definitely wants to push itself for the first team offering as high as possible. Um, Obviously, we're not super rich but we've put things in place like the new stadium, uh, the way the club marks itself in terms of the profile which has attracted a lot more players to it. We have a second team which is only playing in division below us now which wasn't the case before. Wow. Um, So, it's it's all on the right path and the right trajectory. In terms of me personally, I think I'll be a bit too old if we. Uh, <laughs> I'm probably not good enough if uh, we got promoted. But um, I mean, I'd love it if we got promoted because I know that we'd go into the um, FA Cup qualifying rounds if we. Were oh in. really? But I think you might have to finish consistently in the top half of the table for like a year or two. Yeah. But um, We'd also be eligible for like things like the FA Vars uh, or the FA. FA, FA Trophy, I'm forgetting now. Um I should know this because I was secretary and it's on the forms. So <laughs> um but we'd actually be playing in like proper normally trophy um competitions in, like FA Cup, for example. Um not that I expect us to like, get out of the qualifying rounds, but um yeah, the club wants to go as high as possible. And you see like other teams like hashtag United, for example, um they've managed to generate a massive following and a profile based off just being unique. And I think we're also a unique club as
0: well. Now we spoke about it very briefly, um, off camera, if you want to say that off recording yeah. about you take a part of playing back in Wembley in, uh, in 2018, which is just absolutely huge. Can you tell us a little bit about how that came about and what it was like playing at Wembley?
1: Well, it, I think that it was just amazing. really. I'm trying to struggle. It's put it into words a little bit there. Um, it came about through the club's links with the FA. People, a lot of people on the committee and members of the club have been doing some work just to try and improve, well, just make it easier for LGBT people to be in football and improve the visibility in sport. The, the whole vision of that came out through okay, well, let's do something. Let's have the first non league league match. <laughs> um, and this is when our first team were division below, actually, division one in the Middlesex County League. And they kind of just said, like, you know, you guys can select select the match, and uh, we'll get the Rainbow Laces campaign kind of coincide with that and publicise it. Um, and it just the whole thing went mad. Um, there was kind of press everywhere. We had Sky Sports down there doing live goals as well when they went in. Um, we got treated like international footballers. We had the home <laughs> room. Um, that just the dressing room alone was like the size of. I don't know, my, probably about ten of my flat. Put together. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was absolutely mental. The pitch itself was, I think, it is the biggest one in the in the, UK, in the UK, if I'm not wrong. And we had our our home ground. Old home ground was the biggest pitch in the league, and it was like another third had been added onto it. <laughs> <laughs> it was absolutely blown. But um, no, it was. It did celebrate like a partnership between ourselves, and the FA, um, Wembley Stadium, and Rainbow Laces as well. And that was kind of the key behind it, was to like raise awareness of that Rainbow Laces campaign and just basically promote equality. Um, and just one of the most iconic things for me was just seeing the, uh, the arch lit up in the, uh, the Rainbow colours, and also seeing, uh, you know, Stonewall FC versus uh, Wolverforce Wanderers. Um, and you could see it from back at the tube station pretty much. Have you uh, still got your shirt? Um, No, we didn't get to keep the shirts, so that was just the regular season kit. Um, Oh, really? Yeah, it wasn't anything too special. So I think one of them's actually gone to the uh, National Football Museum. Oh, wow. um, Which I think is in Manchester. But yeah, we've all got a ton of pictures. I know a few others have still got their screensavers or lock screens (laughs) as pictures from Wembley. So
0: would I. So would I.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think there's one on my wall somewhere as well. But yes, it's something that you never forget. And uh, it was just like a really special occasion. And it was just for a great cause, to be honest.
0: I mean, we hear from professional footballers and how big Wembley is uh, in terms of the width of it, the length of it, yeah. etc. cetera. And that's should we say premiership grounds, it says in quotation marks. For yeah. a non-league player, how did you, how big, I know mean, you mentioned it was by like a third, that's bigger, but how much harder was it playing on? the Wembley, the size of it is compared to what you used to.
1: You'd like do your usual run, um, you know, recovery run or, you know, one-on-one with a player. And then you kind of turn and look and you'd be like, wow, there's still another half of the pitch. <laughs> you, I can't really put it to words, but you look at it, when you're on the pitch, you're like, my oh, Jesus, this is ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Or, for example, you go to clear the ball and sometimes our goalkeeper could clear a pitch with one of his goal kicks and they were only just going over the halfway line and he can really <laughs> let um, So that just kind of gives you an idea of how vast and how wide that pitch was. And I mean, you just look at people out wide and you could barely like hear each other because you're literally like having to scream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, chaos. But Yeah, we'd all done a bit of extra fitness prior to that. Um, everyone was in tip-top condition. I think we're lucky now because around that time, actually, I think we'd just been in the Premier Division before that. We play in the um, lowest level of non-league football, uh, Step 7. So some of the facilities, they actually share them with teams from Step 4, Step 5. So like um, the old Conference South, um, I can't remember what it's called now, and stuff like that. So we were kind of familiar and had a decent level of fitness. But... I think we were, a few of us were dead at the end of it. So.
0: But that's just the warm-up, was not it? Yeah. <laughs> now, over the years, you've had a number of roles in the club, a range of work in, in behind the scenes, shall we say, uh, to as a current player. Can you tell us a little bit about the work you've done behind the scenes over the last couple of years and what you've done to help the club? So I joined in 2014.
1: Um, and just to give you a, a little fact, so there's actually about Ten, maybe eleven LGBT football clubs in London alone. So there must be thirty across the UK. So I'd actually played for uh, another club for a couple of years, and we all know we all know the other clubs because um, our Stone Birds used to play in a uh, social league, like a unity league. So we played against them before. and Just wanted to go there to play like a a higher standard of football, like borderline semi-pro or almost. I um, was with the club for a couple of years, just trying to get up to speed, really. It was like the, the highest standard football I played for for some time. And it was just like so vast and so big, like such a really well-set organisation. So I thought, OK, you know, a club's provided me a lot in terms of like support. You made some friends for life, um, stability. It's like done wonders for mental health and confidence. And I think it does for a lot of players. That's why they're attracted to that kind of organisation. So I just joined as um, club secretary. But also kind of dips the toe into the social and marketing side of it as well. So helped out some of the guys there that had already had the experience and just kind of went from strength to strength. Um, I tell you what, it was like having another job as a volunteer. <laughs> on, uh, I was going to ask. But um, it's it's amazing because it was part of our uh, move to a new ground in Stratford, which is literally attached to uh, West Ham's ground. Um, wow! In the Olympic Park and. You see when you, you spend time and you, the benefit that comes from it for others, it's not just for yourself. If you park something like that, you're making sure it's for the, the greater good. And it's been nothing but positive for me. I've learned loads of new skills. Like I said, I've got friends for life from there. And um, it's just been nice to see some of my efforts to grow. And it, it was definitely aided by the guys that were there because there's some fantastic team there in terms of like marketing guys. Uh, Mike Sholly, who likes to remain anonymous, but he's kind of like, the driving
0: force behind the marketing side. Not anymore. Not nah. anymore. <laughs> you just named and shamed him. <laughs> so when you made the step up to join Stonewall FC, did you, once you saw how the club was run and what was going on, was you surprised at how much was involved in the club? Or was it was it to be expected? Because they are the most successful LGBTQ club in the world, let alone in England. <laughs> The club has a target
1: on its back when it plays tournaments, like in the LGBT world, because it's won so many. Yeah. So there's kind of like that reputation to keep <laughs> up, <laughs> and you know that all the other teams are going to play like the game of their life against you. I think like the gap's definitely um, got smaller over the years, but it's just like the vast scale of things. They they were going to things like the uh, the gay games where. That's hosted every four years, kind of like the World Cup, but for every type of sport you can think of, yeah. you've got all athletes going there, uh, Euro games, things like that. Some of the other clubs did do that, but they wouldn't take as many teams as Stonewall would and didn't really have the profile. And um, I was just surprised at the amount of media attention the club was getting as well, or still gets to this day. Like, we won the Gay Games, I think it was back in 2002. I might be getting my dates wrong. And I remember seeing in the papers... Um, England finally wins the World Cup. But in brackets, it was a bit of a negative headline. Oh, bet they're gay or something like that. Or it was in like pink text in a quite a rag of a paper. And it's just things like that, which I didn't even realise I'd be with Stonewall, And then, you know, you kind of make the links back to all these things.
0: Obviously, you're playing for the club and you have been for a couple of years, as you mentioned. What position did you play?
1: Uh, Centre back. I did have a stint up front for a, a little while. Um, I used to play... Well, as a kid, I used to play as a striker. And then I was back at uni, I um, was playing for a Saturday team there and at uni, I was playing centre-back, but sometimes on the right wing and up front, it was just kind of <laughs> all over the place. So uh, you're the
0: field devil or Stonewall, are you? Um, no, I don't want that tag. <laughs> <laughs> the utility but, man.
1: But no, I've been, apart from like about half a season, um, middling around up front, I've been the centre-back ever since. So I think that's my strongest position. Like I said, the um, the step up and the difference in level. I mean, you you might be able to score a few goals against the (laughs) dog and duck, but not when you're playing teams which you've got like proper organisation and coaching.
0: I'd imagine going from a striker to a centre-back is probably the best thing you can do in terms of position awareness because when you're a striker as you were for a number of years, you know, what about the runs you're going to make? So making a move back to centre-back as Neil Dublin did and Chris Sutton did in the latter end of their career. Not not that I'm saying you're in the latter end of your career, Leon, I'm not saying that at all. (laughs) But what I'm trying to imply is you saw that these guys in the later stages of their career when they'd lost a yard of pace, they knew as a centre-back where guys were likely going to be. Have you found that's helped you at all? Yeah, definitely.
1: I, I think if um, I'm lucky that you, you're not doing this with a few other lads because I'll probably be getting <laughs> destroyed right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's definitely helped. Um, if you'd have said that to the manager in my first season, because obviously I made the jump, I didn't have any pre-season. i come back from like a long injury and I was definitely very unprepared for uh, <laughs> the level and the standards. <laughs> it took me a few months to sort myself out. Um, but no, that's definitely helped. and. I think, yeah, I'm in the early 30s now, but um, it's, it's all experience and it's definitely helped. And you've, you realise the things that you can get away with as a as a seasoned pro, I guess. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, unfortunately, you are a Watford fan. Tell us a little bit about what it's like being a Watford fan. I can't say that about laughing. Tell us what, how, how you became a Watford fan. What are your thoughts on the club performance last season, this season? What it's like having a new manager every other week?
1: So when I was about 11, 12, I was playing for Stevenage Borough um, Blues and Reds. There. I think there were that's a bunch of like colour-coded teams back then. And then there was kind of like a little feeder thing. Did that for a bit. And as part of that, I used to get um, tickets to go to the club and watch a game. Um, and that was like the first league match I'd ever seen. I've been to a couple of Stevenage Borough games, but it wasn't quite the same. Um, and I just remember being there, uh, obviously quite young. I was in the uh, top tier in the, uh, well, right, sorry, right at the back of the rookery, actually. And I was just astounded by how steep it was at the time. Bearing in mind, you've probably been to Watford at some point, maybe to watch. <laughs> maybe it's not that big, but the whole ground and like the size of it, it, was just like, wow, this is massive. and Kind of the atmosphere, although there probably wasn't as much of one back then as there is now. Of, <laughs> the organization of it kind of just fell in love with it. Like, like you said about um Luton, although I can't yeah. imagine who, who would fall into the Luton. <laughs> um, and it kind of just stuck with me from then through the times of us basically having a condemned stand in like three different parts. whole oh, <laughs>
0: condemned, so I can't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, and,
1: and like, as I said, a lot of mates were um, Arsenal and Tottenham fans and uh quite a few Man United, weirdly, even though I've been in the <laughs> south of England. I say weirdly, that shouldn't be a surprise. that's, so cool. that's what they all come from. <laughs> found a bit more of a, an attachment to it and you just feel a bit more part of it. And it's been nice, to, as I've grown up, just to see how the club has grown and it's become so much more professional. We have like really good grounds. On the whole, things are a hell of a lot better than they were like 10, 12 years ago. We are a much more professional outfit. Now... Um, I think things are probably a bit of a a mess in terms of our transfer strategy and um, ignoring a few areas which might have needed strengthening, such as up front. And I think there's a couple of people there which have been fantastic servants, but might have a little bit too too much influence on the club now. Um, I mean, we're in a good position and I think there's probably a lot of clubs which would probably kill to be uh, fifth in the championship, but... Um, I'm just hoping that we don't end up in that vicious cycle. You know, you just get stuck in the championship, or you might even peter out and end up in League One. Yeah. We, well, as a Luton fan, you'd know that you can come on out. <laughs> uh,
0: we've got a um, part of the show now. It's my favorite part of the show. It's the Spitfire questions. I never Spitfire questions. A lot of the time they revolve around FM. Um, I know you played FM in the class, or I was told you did. So if you haven't, I yeah, apologise. Have. Um, I'm
1: probably um, the last one I bought was uh, FM19,
0: so I'm a bit off the. Uh, actually, my favourite one, FM15, FM19 are my two favourite ones. But I've, I'm going to change a couple of the questions. They're, they're called Spitfire. They're never Spitfire, so feel free to elaborate if you want to. Uh, we're going to get straight into it. Coke or Pepsi? Pepsi. Do you have a preference like Pepsi max cherry or just Pepsi, whatever? Do you have a preference at all or?
1: Um, Pepsi just because it just seems easier to find on the online. And cheaper. <laughs> yeah, and
0: cheaper. It's always cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we have heard you support Watford. Now you've got Club v country. Are you an England fan?
1: I am. Um, I, back in the old glory days of you know uh, the Euros, and this is going pretty show mage actually, even though I'm not that old. Um I was far more into it and kind of fell out of love probably from like 2006-ish, around that time. For a good period.
0: That's a common theme there, Back then, yeah. you know, when you had your Wayne Rooney's, you know, in the prime of his career, for example, and it seems over the year where so many people now, you ask, I ask people this question all the time, club, for country, would very rare do I hear country. Everyone goes, I don't really watch it anymore. I mean, I've definitely
1: got back into it in the last couple of years, but I, th- I find like the Nations League... And the friendlies, the biggest waste of time.
0: Yeah.
1: It's just, I'm just like, bring back club football now. (laughs) That's what I want to watch instead. But like the tournaments, the Euros, World Cup, I love it. I I get involved. But other than that, yeah, not as much as it used to be.
0: So England decide that, do you have any other international team that you follow? Like I like Brazil, like a lot of guys due to the history they have. Do you have any any other international teams that you follow at all? Maybe just for the big tournaments, but did you have like a, a Brazil or an Argentina or a Holland that you like to keep an eye on?
1: Um, I usually love going for an underdog, someone that's like qualified against the odds. Um, Ivory Coast, follow, uh, follow them sometimes. For some reason, the Netherlands. Um, I think that's just going back historically. They've just been, always been like a really technical and quality team to watch. Um, I think anyone that's around my age, probably loved Brazil back in the the day uh, (laughs) (laughs)
0: they're
1: they're definitely um, although not the same style they used to be but they're still one of the favourites
0: yeah I mean you you mentioned Holland I mean it's mad to think that even just 30 years ago Holland were one of the best teams in the world now they can barely scrape it to a national tournament (laughs) you know what I mean so so much infighting at that club it's it's insane
1: well I think it just adds to a bit of entertainment if the team gets up far then uh, at least there's something else going on it's like the France um, scandal from a uh, few years ago in Edinburgh yeah. and a few of the players went on strike against the coach and you're just like <laughs> what is going on i <laughs> <laughs> um, just hoping it doesn't happen at your club <laughs> <They just stay laughs> are
0: you a gamer at all
1: uh, I am I've recently got back into the Xbox life and it's pretty sad, but obviously we haven't been in the office for a while. So we used to play um, FIFA constantly. Um, I say constantly. Obviously, when we had spare in time in the office,
0: wow! <laughs> 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 it's all
1: sort of coming out now, isn't it? It's <laughs> like really work. Um, I got back into Football Manager um, during the first lockdown, and it's. I really have to moderate my time on that because. <laughs> You know, two days have passed and you haven't spoken to anyone. Uh, the other one's like, where are you? Like, <laughs> I'm out of the spare room. Um, a bit of that, um, and I just bought, um, I can't remember, it was called Cyberpunk as well. So I'm, I'm yeah. just getting back into it after a bit of a hiatus.
0: Was you an Xbox fan growing up?
1: No, PlayStation, always really? PlayStation. Um, I've played like a few games on PC as well over the years, or laptop. Um, and then just I don't know, just I got given a Xbox a few years ago as a gift, and it's just stuck with me. Um, but randomly, I've been playing a lot of um, uh, Nintendo Switch games. Not my choice. Um, it's just been put on, so I've had to participate. <laughs> it's been like Mario. You have um, I wouldn't
0: say have to but yeah. you know, what else is there to do in lockdown so. I want to get a Switch I'm not going to lie to you I mean I, I grew up again okay, I'm a little bit older than you uh, I say a little but if you look at us on camera I'm, I'm a lot older than Leon. let's be honest with you but I'm a little bit older than Leon so I grew up in the heyday of the you know, there's a and, and Mario Kart for example so I, I've been dying to get a Switch um, but every more gives me out at the moment again one. They're, they're not cheap <laughs> but I, I, I love I love the idea of, of a Switch and the games you get in there but I think it's things that i'd probably love for about half an hour and then never touch it again <laughs> well
1: i don't know actually i really got into it like mario party mario kart um there's a few other bits down there you can download all the classics as well oh really i haven't quite got to um a golden eye yet i mean i love that back what in the day. day
0: i'm glad to hear that someone's as old as i am and appreciates golden eye
1: you can't be that old. I think there's not too much difference between us, actually. I think I'm just um, trying to save face by
0: saying. <laughs> I'm, I'm only 30, but I'm 34 and a half. Is that what you're trying to do, Leon?
1: <laughs> I, think, I think that's the uh, point of life I've got to now. How old are you? <laughs> just the symbol or uh, change of subject.
0: Change of subject, yeah. yeah. So obviously we've established that you, uh, you like your old school game, shall we say. Do you have a particular favourite game growing up?
1: Um... I have downloaded, bought the Streets of Rage 4 because they released it <laughs> oh, yeah. five or six months ago. Um, and obviously, going back further, there was like Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, there's loads, actually. So I've downloaded all the same classics, um, Call of Duty type stuff, Tom Clancy games. Um, F1 was a classic. I remember yeah. playing the first one of that years ago. Um, with Murray, I can't remember the old commentator from back in the day. Um, I was pretty good at that one. And then I bought one of them two or three years ago and was terrible. And I don't think I ever touched it after <laughs> that. <laughs> so it's not the same. They've changed it. Um, so what's your,
0: fa- your favourite meal?
1: Favourite meal? Um, i tell you what, to make is probably jerk chicken, rice and peas. Um, just because it is something that I used to have a lot as a kid and now I've learned how to make it because it's not subpar anymore.
0: <laughs> so was it subpar for a number of years or was it?
1: Bits of it were. Let's just say that um, rice cooking apparently isn't art. So. <laughs> <laughs> your poor partner. <laughs>
0: well, this is well nice. Yeah, cheers, Leon.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I've got a rice cooker now, so it's fine. Other than that, I'm usually pretty handy in the kitchen. It was just that yeah. one thing that I can never get right.
0: So what's your favourite takeaway?
1: Um, that's a tough one, actually, because I think we're spoiled for choice in London. You are. There's uh, Mother Clucker is probably one of them, or and there's this place, actually the elite one. They don't really do too many takeaways. Is uh, it's called Wingman's, um, and you basically, if you go there, obviously you can get takeaways, but they give you gloves and and like a bucket, and it's just like a full on feast, and it isn't like. Um, you like 40 P wings, which you get after a night it. And like out on the lunch. <laughs> it's like, um, I wouldn't say upmarket, but it's like, it's got a massive following in some really nice restaurants, Um, uh, but it's affordable as well. And I think everyone loves it. I know there's been, uh, they've become a convert. Throwaway. Well,
0: there we go, boys and girls, another episode of Ben Beats over with, and, uh, a very, informative one to say the least. If you don't know anything about Stonewall FC before the podcast, you will do now. Make sure you head over to their Twitter page. All the links will be down below, the Twitters, the YouTubes, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, Leon, thank you very much, dude. much appreciate you coming on.
1: I appreciate it, Ben. It's, it's been a lot of fun as well, especially with uh, your Luton connections.
0: But... <laughs> <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure. Without any Freddie do, I'm going to bid you all adieu. See you later.